According to Tom Rayner, the majority of Protestant churches in America average 10 or less salvations a year. Let's change the stat. Welcome to GoCast, a podcast designed to inspire and equip pastors and leaders to lead soul-winning churches. We have a mission to go and make disciples. This is GoCast. Everyone, welcome to GoCast. I'm your host, Kelly Stickle, joined by my friend and co-host, Tim Tribble. How are you doing today, Tim? Man, I'm doing good. It's going to be a good episode. Yeah, man, it is. It really is going to be a good episode. A great conversation with my friend, Bruxy Cavey, who pastors the Meeting House, a very significant church in the nation of Canada, around the world, really. He's an incredible communicator, author of two amazing books. And uh, this conversation is really cool. One of the things that he brought out, um, and we didn't talk about this beforehand, I, I promise. Uh, but he brought out and really started teaching on the kingdom of God, which is fascinating because we're right in the middle of a series on the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. which was uh, birthed because of conversations I've had with so many pastors and leaders that are saying, this is the message that we need to get across yes. to the church today. Yeah. We need to talk about the kingdom of God. This is, and just as someone, I think it was Pastor Kevin that first brought it up to me, Pastor Kevin Gerald. And as he brought it up to me, something jumped in my heart. I was like, yeah, I got to study this out. So we've been studying it out, preaching this series. And then lo and behold, we have this conversation with, with Pastor Bruxy. And this is where he goes with the conversation. So cool. And it was so fascinating, amazing. Um, what stood out to you as we've been talking about the kingdom of God around here quite a bit yeah. and teaching on the kingdom? What's what stood out to you? What's been revelation that you've been getting in this season? Oh, I think week after week, I'm getting like newer revelation. And I think all of us actually listening to just how how different our perspective of the kingdom is as opposed to how we're living our lives. And I think one thing you said that was really key was you can either choose to have Jesus be your savior or you can choose to have him be your king, yeah. which is a completely different level. Yeah, it it really is submitting, you know, to Jesus as as King as Lord is really key. Uh, but it is significant conversation that we need to have as pastors with our congregations because throughout the season of of COVID, uh, it revealed that maybe you know we've seen lots of drift in in our churches and pastors. I'm talking to are seeing mm-hmm. people that have left aren't coming back. Uh, that's a conversation, but that I think it's revealed that really. Our roots haven't been as deep, maybe yeah. in our in our faith, and our resilience hasn't been as strong as maybe we thought going into something like this. Wow! And I think one of the things that d- differentiated the early church in their resilience to to go through a lot worse than what we've gone through, you know, immense persecution, is their understanding of the kingdom of God, yeah. and that understanding. This is so key. Uh, to all of us and understanding that and being able to learn how to teach it and preach it in such a way that, again, is going to anchor those roots deep. So uh, this conversation with Pastor Bruxy is going to hopefully really tweak some things in all of your hearts as well, Uh, give you um, some handles on on what to, how to speak about the kingdom of God, how to talk about the kingdom of God. And hopefully, this is my heart for you, is that hopefully this creates a hunger in you to be able to uh, study this out for yourselves. Mm. And really, I think this is the message for the day. So without further ado, let's go to my conversation with Pastor Bruxy Cavey of The Meeting House. 
Well, welcome to GoCast, Bruxy. It's such an honor to have you invest your time and wisdom for our audience. For those who are unfamiliar with you and your ministry, why don't you just take a minute and introduce yourself and your church? Sure, Kelly. Thanks for having me on for this. I, I uh, love what you've got going on here. I'm really appreciating being a part of it. So yeah, my name is Bruxy and I'm the pastor of a church called The Meeting House. And um, our heritage is Anabaptist, the Radical Reformation. So to give people orientation, you have the Protestant Reformation, most people have heard of, yep. 1500s, and right on the heels of the Protestant Reformation is this thing called the Radical Reformation. The Protestant Reformation helped the church fall in love with the Bible. The radical reformers said, it's not enough to fall in love with the Bible. We've got to make sure we fall in love with the Jesus who's at the center of the Bible, or else we can use the, the Bible to justify anything. You know, like yeah. the Catholic Church was using church authority to justify going to war, burning heretics, torturing witches who were usually just misidentified Christians. I mean, the Catholic Church was using church authority to do that. But when Protestants said, no, we got to follow the Bible, they ended up doing all the same stuff. Yeah. They ended up going to war. Uh, you know, burning witches and torturing heretics. Um, and they justified it from scripture because if you pick and choose, you can justify anything from scripture if you don't keep Jesus in the center. So the radical reformers said, oh, no, no, we've got to make sure we keep Jesus in the center of our faith because that's going to change everything for us. And so that's the background that our church comes out of the radical reformation. Um, Anabaptists, after centuries of persecution, um, just kind of moved moved to the Americas and said, let's just keep our heads down and hope nobody notices us. So they went from being radical to being like quaint little oddities in the countryside, like Mennonites and Amish yeah. and And so we're part of a generation who are saying, let's recapture some of that initial Jesus-centered passion and, um, and not get bogged down with the legalism uh, that has ended up accompanying the Radical Reformation, but let's give it a, a fresh start. So that's I our church. That. We're a house church network, as well as a network of Sunday um, Sunday services that are meeting in different areas, different parishes. But we have over 100 house churches that are kind of the backbone of what make the meeting house what it is. And then now, of course, through COVID, a, a large online community as well, which is kind of interesting because even though COVID is something none of us wanted, it has allowed us to reach a whole group of people who we would never have reached otherwise. So that's kind of Yeah, that's so true. That's so good. Man, I, I love that and and love the the Jesus centered focus. That's and that's very evident in in how you guys do ministry. And you know, meeting houses described as a church for people who aren't into to, into church, which man, I love that. So talk to us about that approach and its effect on reaching the unchurched. Yeah, sure. Well, of course, we realize that there's a large and growing demographic of people in North America and Western society in general who would be de-churched, who either have had an experience of church in the past and it left them flat, stale, bored, or burnt out, um, and uh, or they've just studied church history and said, oh, there's, I don't want anything. There's a lot of misogyny and violence and judgment there. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. Um, but there's also a generation of, of kids being born into the homes of of church dropouts who themselves have had zero church experience and are now are saying, well, I don't know anything. And so we've just said, we want to make a safe space for these kinds of either former church drops out dropouts or people who have no church experience whatsoever uh, to come and ask questions, feel like question asking is our indigenous love language. We just want yeah. there to be no threat, um, but to say, no, this is the place where we're processing stuff together. And, um, and so we wanted to create a church for people who aren't into church. And what we have found is that there's just a lot of people in that category who resonate with that and who want a place to explore faith and spirituality 
without feeling arm twisted. And that takes a gentle, a gentle touch um, to make that safe space for people to come and, and begin to investigate. Yeah, I love that. I love the whole emphasis on that that you have on the the questions and and being willing to ask some of the bold questions yourself and and invite people to ask those questions. I mean, that's very much what how Jesus was. But yet, for some reason, in typical church world, in religiosity and and all the rest of it, in, we've got to the place where we've stopped allowing people to ask ask questions. And I think that's that's something I just wanted to highlight that for, for a moment, because I think one way to reach the unchurched is really inviting them to ask the questions, even as messy as those questions are going to be, and some hard questions too. It's so true. Um, the, patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It, it, the, the Greek word means a slow-burning fuse, which is a very long fuse. And we have uh, we lose patience when we just want to jump to the punchline and get people to agree with us as quick as possible. Jesus is Lord. You got to follow him. Come on, man. Here we go. We're going to preach that rousing message and get you to convert right away. Yeah. Rather than to make space for these people to, um, to investigate, decide, and decide they don't want to follow Jesus if that's, if that's their decision. And that's going to take patience and gentleness to, uh, to allow people the space to do that. And it ends up being in line with Jesus in that uh, Luke 14, especially, but other places as well, is where Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, first, you're going to need to take time to count the cost. Mm-hmm. And that's a time-taking process to really study the will and words and ways of Jesus and say, is that something I could actually wrap my heart and my head around? Or is this too high a calling for me? I don't think so. Jesus doesn't undersell the gospel message so we can get quick converts. So he'll have someone come and say, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus. Yeah. And he turns around and says, well, you know, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he discerns this person wants to follow Jesus because he thinks he's going to lead him to the good life. And Jesus's only response is, I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight. Yeah. So the yeah. birds and the foxes <laughs> have a better life than I do right now. Do you know what you're signing up for? And that's after that, he goes into his conversation about you need to count the cost. Um, whereas I think that in North American evangelicalism, if someone said, I'm ready to follow Jesus, we'd say, great, it's a free gift of grace, bow your head, let's pray a prayer, and we'll, you know, we'll move you into our new believers class next Tuesday night, and we would take the convert right away. And yeah. He says, no, a longer process is actually a good thing. Yeah, that is so good. So true. And and that longer process, I mean, there's times where he allowed the rich young ruler to walk away, didn't chase him, didn't pursue him, didn't didn't rebuke him, just let him walk away. And I, I mean, I think I'm sure that 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 guy walked away and had he was counting the cost multiple. Yeah, and that didn't that didn't leave his mind. I, he probably didn't sleep that night, all the things going on. And yet Jesus just let him. And so good. when he comes back, he comes back to Jesus as Lord, not just Jesus as Savior. So good. That's key. You know, uh, many of us have grown up in the church that promotes Jesus as Savior. You just pray this prayer, free gift of grace, get your sins forgiven, go to heaven when you die. Um, But remember when Paul says it's a free gift of grace, the Apostle Paul emphasizes that. He is talking to Christians who should not get cocky about the salvation although they've earned it. No, no, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, free gift of grace. But if you, if you, partner that with how Jesus preaches the gospel. Jesus might say, uh, he might not use these words, but his message may indicate it's a free gift of grace. But Jesus would add, sure, it's a free gift of grace that will cost you your life, yeah. cost you everything you've got. And you've got to be willing to lay it down like the, the, um, the, the treasure in the field. Or he says, you can't afford the treasure. That's true. It's, so yeah. in that sense, it's free because you could never purchase the treasure. It's of infinite value. But you do end up selling everything you've got so you can purchase the field, so you can have the treasure. 
So it's still this free gift of grace, but it costs you everything. And you're still overjoyed because what you got, even though you sold everything to buy the field, you're still overjoyed because what you got for it is still much better. Yeah. So Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 9, he says, when we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe God raised from the dead, you're saved. So we approach Jesus as Lord and we confess him as Lord and we get him as savior as part of the package. Yeah. As opposed to flipping that around and saying, just invite him as savior and we'll figure out lordship issues later. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love that. Or talk to us about the, because you have a campaign at the church called the Go Campaign, which I, I love that. So talk to us, explain what that campaign is all about and how's it been working for you guys? Oh yeah, great. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, we just decided we wanted to pour more intentionality into reaching out to the world around us. And, um, and that's in some areas going to take funds. Not everything takes funds, but some things do. And so we said for those initiatives that are going to attach fundraising with new evangelistic initiatives, um, we've evangelism has always been a part of what we do, but for new things, we just want to cast a vision for fulfilling the great commission. And it, it's beautiful because our people uh, rally whenever we have a compassion uh, need and they rally Whenever we put something in front of it and this, and we thought, well, are they going to rally just for pure evangelism? Yeah. But we've had really a beautiful encouragement from our community to say, let's, the world needs more Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is when we realize that Christians also need more Jesus, yes, that helps break down the us versus them approach to evangelism, which I think is distasteful both to Christians and to non-Christians to think that I'm going into a conversation as though I have all the answers. You live in ignorance. I dwell in light. You dwell in darkness. You know, I have truth. You have lies. And I come to you with the, no, no, it's that actually we all need more Jesus. I've discovered something here and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'd love to share what I'm learning and growing with you. Come along and we'll do this together. So, so the is broken down and it's more a posture of coming alongside and saying, I'm learning. Will you come learn with me? That's so good. As you're as you're talking about that, I mean, a lot of what you're doing or how you're approaching ministry and and with the Go campaign and doing compassionate ministries and all the rest of bringing Jesus to the world. I mean, there's as much education for the church that are coming into your church, if not more, because they've got their preconceived ideas of Savior to, to Lord. All the rest. Of it. Talk talk to us about. I mean, that education that you're you're giving to to the church that are coming in with a preconceived idea to say okay this is what our goal campaign is this is how we do that ministry talk to us about how 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 that how do you do that yeah sure well when we break down the wall between us versus them and we admit that christians need christ as much as any non-christian and certainly you look at the history of the church and that's very true um what that does well it also humbles us it allows us to Practice the plank eye process even in evangelism you know jesus teaches in matthew 7 you see some of the splinter in their eye before you go and help them deal with the plank in your own eye. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, that can be applied to all kinds of ethical issues, but it can also be applied to evangelism to say, before yeah. I come to you and say, you're a sinner in need of a savior, say, hold on, the church is a, is a, has got such a sinful and corrupt history. Mm. We need Jesus first and foremost. And so I, I deal with the plank in my own eye individually, but also collectively with the, the church that we represent. And then we come into relationships with non-Christians with a completely different disposition, a, a different posture. Um, I'm, when you, when you see a movie that you love and you share it with a friend, you don't share it as though you made the movie as though you're the director, you're not taking credit for it. It's just, I just discovered this movie. I love, I hope you see it too. And that sense of ongoing discovery with Jesus, yeah. just learning something. Just last week, I learned something cool. I want to share it with you. I'd love for you to learn more with me. I think that changes our disposition and it allows Christians to feel more authentic about evangelizing as well. Um, I had a, I have conversations every so often with, um, 
with not just my non-Christian friends, but sometimes my atheist friends. And um, I will say to them, I think you and I both want our church to succeed in evangelism. And they'll say, well, what do you mean? Why? And I'll say, because one of our goals in evangelism is to start just by getting Christians to act more like Christ. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, yeah. Because even our atheist friends are they're not under the delusion that Christianity is going to evaporate and go away. It's one of the world's most influential religions. And so um, some of my atheist friends would love to convert people away from their theism into atheism. But in the meantime, they would say, actually though, maybe it's a good plan just to get Christians to be more like Christ. That'll make the world a better place. And I'll say, exactly. Then it leads to a conversation just why would being more like Christ make the world a better place? What do you think it is about his teachings that actually would help change the world? We had a, a, a Wiccan priest come to the meeting house one Sunday just to check us out. And at the end of the service, he came up to me and he, he just slipped a $20 bill in my hand. He was not a person of means that he just said, this is all I got. He said, I, I don't know that I'm ready to convert. He says, but me giving you money has symbolic value because I would never, Christians are money grabbers. That's my understanding of the Christian church. I would never give money to the church. I stand for everything you're opposed to, except I listened to you today and I thought, if you're helping people who call themselves Christians to be more like Jesus, I want to get behind that every way I can. I don't even know if I'm ready to convert to Jesus yet, but I want you to succeed. So, so even this $20 is saying something. And it really, that stuck with me. And we kept touch over time. And, and he's still like, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Yeah. It's a really interesting relationship. But that's, that's a beautiful, I think, heart softening agent for Christians and non-Christians so we can not be adversarial, but create that safe space to actually have a meaningful conversation about Jesus. That's so good. I love that. We we uh, just to reiterate what you're just saying. We took out a Facebook ad uh, about six months ago. Uh, we dared to do this in a series I was setting up, and we 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 took out and said, you know, fill in the blank and finish the sentence Christianity is, and just on put it publicly on Facebook, and got everything that you could imagine back, which we anticipated. But the following week, we took out you know a, another ad, and we said Jesus is. And as much negative talk as we had about from everybody about Christianity and the church and and all the the negativity that you'd fully expect by asking people to fill in that blank, we were hard pressed to find anyone to say anything negative about Jesus, regardless of what they thought of the church. And then we took that and, and went to our church and said, okay, well, we're supposed to be Christ-like. Why aren't we more? So I, man, I love how, what you're saying. Now talk to us about the Jesus Collective because you're having these conversations with pastors and you just started, you launched uh, a couple of years ago, right? It hasn't been that long, but you start, started the, the Jesus Collective. Talk to us about the Jesus Collective and your heart behind all of that. Sure. Yeah, Jesus Collective comes out of something that seems to be happening spontaneously, maybe around the globe during this generation. And it's starting with pastors, but it's happening through the churches. And that is Christians kind of tripping on to a resurgence of that radical reformation I was talking about before. They're not yeah. converting to becoming Anabaptist or Mennonite. They're just saying, I'm having a rediscovery of the importance of keeping Jesus central to my faith. And yeah. when I do that, there's a ripple effect that's causing me to rethink all other aspects of my faith. But it's, it's not just a deconstruction of faith in general. It's a reconstruction of Jesus at the center. And then Jesus helps deconstruct what needs to go and build what should be healthy. And I would say 20 years ago, I started to hear from an increasing number of pastors saying, I'm on this journey. You guys seem to be really Jesus-centered. I think I need in on that. I'm not necessarily wanting to join your denomination or your church, but I am wanting to learn and grow. And I need, I need 
mentorship. I need fellowship. I just need friendship in this journey as well. Yeah. I don't want to just deconstruct and throw everything out and be left with nothing. Something inside me is still pulling me towards Jesus. So how can I rebuild? And um, that was 20 years ago. And we said, uh, uh, we don't know. We don't know how to help you. I mean, we're going to keep doing what we're doing and you can listen to our podcast, but um, we don't have the infrastructure to create anything like this. And so we started, we said something like that must exist. And we looked and there are some, some examples we're getting close, but not exactly to the vision that we were hoping we would find. And so finally, uh, finally we said, okay, well, we'll give birth to this. So the meeting house gave birth to Jesus collective, but we want it to be autonomous. We want it to not just be a meeting house ministry, but we want our little baby to grow up and become an adult child and then invite us over to their house for supper. So um, Jesus collective is growing up and uh, the meeting house just wants to be one part of it. And it is, it is a renewal movement for the church of just recentering Jesus. So good. I, I love that. And I would, I would agree to the pastors I've talked around the world. I mean, for myself, I grew up in the church. Um, and, and really, if we think about it, and I've pulled on this and I've preached on this and didn't realize how much of the church or what we, our theologies, what we've been raised in has been Bible-centered, yeah. right? And, and, and rather than Jesus-centered. And, and yeah. some Christians hearing this, they will immediately have an alarm bell go off and say, wait a second, what's, what's the matter of being Bible-centered? And, and what we have to remind people is when you're Bible-centered, it is possible. I'm not saying this is anyone's intent. But it is too easy for Jesus then to just become one more Bible character among the many Bible characters. Right. Uh, and, you know, he says important things, but then so does Moses, so does David. And, and, and they do. They all say beautiful things. But Jesus being the center of the narrative processes all that through the Jesus filter. Um, and that does change everything. Um, so, and, and again, this is not just theory or theology there's a real world example of the, of the Protestant Reformation being relentlessly Bible centered, but still believing it's okay to kill people yeah. uh, if they disagree with you theologically. That's, I think today we would say, well, that's ridiculous. What a huge blind spot. And I'd say, no, in some of our best and brightest minds, a John Calvin, a Martin Luther, who, who were amazing theologically, still had that glaring blind spot because they hadn't quite fully centered on Jesus with like the Sermon on the Mount being at the center of his teaching that just wasn't there for them. So they could say, well, yeah, Jesus, I heard this sermon recently, just as an illustration from a reformed thinker who is a beautiful and brilliant mind who I love and I listen to regularly and a, a dear brother, but he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus teaching the way of peace. And he said, uh, you know, Jesus definitely taught nonviolence. And I thought, okay, this is interesting because I don't think this particular brother teaches it. So I'm wondering where he's going with this. He said, Jesus definitely taught nonviolence, peacemaking. He said, uh, but we also have to remember that, that Moses and Joshua and David taught that there's appropriate times for violence. And Solomon says there's a time for war. So, so we have to balance Jesus with, and I was listening to it real time. This is what the reformers did is that once you start to balance Jesus with anyone else in scripture, you pull him out of center. That's right. Uh, and, and then it can lead to all kinds of ethical implications that are not Jesus-y. Um, and so I, I think uh, there's a lot of, uh, I think the Holy Spirit is doing something because a lot of pastors and parishioners are just kind of waking up to this and saying, wait a second, I can do a better job here. Well, and, and, and being Jesus-centered rather than Bible-centered, it makes a lot of the biggest questions or the reasons why the unchurched are so hesitant to be, to be Christian is because they can't wrap their head around 
um, some of the the Bible, especially Old Testament, a lot of the things in there are going, well, that doesn't make sense, and your Bible teaches. And when we become Bible centered, we go, no, no, wait a second. The purpose of the Old Testament is to point to Jesus. It's it's all about Jesus. And you and when you point them to Jesus, there's not many like we've discovered is in having conversations, and I'm, you have as well, not many that that push back on Jesus or his ministry or who he was, you know, in any regard, they don't, not rejecting him, they're rejecting the Bible and then going, well, wait a second, you can reject that part, but just find Jesus. Yeah, no, it's true that there are, there's a thousand three questions that can distract a conversation um, away from Jesus that Christians have often been suckered into feeling like I have to have the answer to all those questions. Like how, how could uh, Noah have fit all the animals on the ark and did, was it really a global flood? And, and what about the slaughter of the Canaanites? And, and was a guy really swallowed by a whale? Oh no, it's big fish, big difference. So what's the yeah. deal? And so there's lots of those conversations, but those conversations while being Bible conversations are still not gospel conversations, not Jesus conversations. And so, um, what, I, what what this frees us up to do is not to be intimidated by, because I think there's Christians who won't evangelize because they say, I know what my non-Christian friends are going to ask and I don't have the answers to the thousand three questions. But do we have to have answers to the thousand three questions or can I try and practice this even when I think I have an answer? Because sometimes I, I, I impress myself. I think, oh, I know the answers. Ask me. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Even then, I'll tell myself, no, Bruxy, don't do that because your average Christian might not have the time that you do to do all this study. So I discipline myself often when someone says, okay, well, what about the slaughter of the Canaanites to just say, that's a great question. I don't know. It's a problem for me too. But one thing I do know is I've been checking out Jesus and he's changing my life, man. And I, I would give that a try. And, and one of the things Jesus did is he came opposed to so much about his own religion was certainly an interpretation of scripture that would lead to violence, that would lead to judgmentalism and ethnic cleansing and even separatism according to ethnicity or gender age and stage, socioeconomic status. He taught against all that. So any interpretation, I can say this, any interpretation of the Bible that is going to use those stories to fuel more violence or judgment or division is not the way of Jesus. So Jesus was a reform movement to his own religion, and he's a reform yeah. movement to my life, and he's a reform movement to our culture. And don't you want to be a part of that? Yeah. I didn't have an answer to their question, but, I, but Jesus becomes the answer to everything in that sense. Yeah, that's so good. Well, and you, and you think about it in Jesus's time, they many missed the Messiah because they were looking for the violent version that would overthrow Rome, and they missed the Savior right in front of them, who went to the cross, willing, like, and didn't fight back. And and I mean, too many are missing Jesus today because we're taking some of those stances that are Bible centered rather than Jesus centered. I, I love that. I mean, you've also authored two amazing uh, books: The End of Religion and your most recent one, Reunion. Um, man, I love, love, love the insight that you have and how aggressively you attack uh, religion. I grew up in religion, so when I read that stuff, I was like, "Oh man, this!" And and man, and I feel because I grew up in it and feel the the battle that's constantly going on. So your books have helped immensely in that. But talk to us about you know the message of Jesus. You say in reunion, you know, has the message of Jesus been changed by the church? over the centuries? And, and if so, what are some of the most egregious changes that you've, that you see regularly? Yeah, I see the message of Jesus has been watered down or truncated. Uh, parts of it have been cut off so that there's one particular part that may be true. It's just that the problem with a half truth is that when you preach a half truth as though it's the whole truth, that half truth becomes a half lie. <laughs> right. And when we say the whole gospel is that you can be saved from your sins, so you go to heaven when you die. You know, God, I mean, the, 
which we have been preaching for decades. It was in the 1950s when um, the four spiritual laws were first written. Mm. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, you're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus is that savior. He died for your sins. If you believe him, you can be saved. The, the, the basic message of salvation from sin spread out over four points. And then since then, there was uh, Steps to Peace with God, Billy Graham Association, The Bridge to Life, Navigators. There's been all different versions of the four spiritual laws. Uh, God loves you. You're a sinner. Jesus will save you. You need to trust him in faith. All true. I've used them in evangelism. Beautiful. But if it's preached as though it's the whole gospel, then that half truth is also a half lie. Jesus mm. announced a message of the kingdom. That's his starting point. His starting point would be to say the kingdom is at hand. It's right here. It's close. You can touch it. It's coming through me, the kingdom. So repent and believe the good news. So the good news, the gospel, repent, believe the gospel is framed by Jesus in terms of the kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven on earth. Not about the, the kingdom we get to go to when we die, but God's reign, God's will and God's way holding sway in our lives. That's the kingdom that it's coming now through Jesus. You can reach out and be a part of it here and now. Mm. Uh, that's why this image of being born again is not one that Jesus uses to say, when you die, you can be born again into a new life. He's saying, no, you can be born again right now into yeah. your eternal life, into your forever kingdom, your forever home. And then physical death is just a minor transition. We actually start eternity now. Um, so, so Jesus preached that you can enter into this whole new way of living right now, and it'll bring meaning and purpose to your life. So that gospel of the kingdom at which the cross, it reframes the cross because the cross is not just uh, salvation for sin, which it is. Yeah. But it is also the coronation of our king. Yeah. The cross, what, what the, uh, the way the gospels tell the uh, passion narratives, um, the things that the Romans are doing ironically, uh, the, the author sees as actually symbolically showing us truth, that they put a robe, a royal robe, a scepter in his hand, and then mm. they'll get it, a crown of thorns. And, you know, it's a crown of suffering. And then, you know, Pilate says, nail above his head, Jesus, Nazareth, king of the Jews. So it's really obvious that this is the coronation of our king. And it's an upside down kingdom, a kingdom that is not achieved through the violence of slaughtering your enemies, but, but through loving your enemies, even when they're be violent, being violent to you. And that yeah. ushers in this whole new way of living. And that's part of the gospel, that there's a new way of living now that can give you a life purpose. And you can be forgiven of your sin as part of that beautiful vision. Yeah. Uh, when that's not preached, I think we're we're missing out on the fullness of the gospel. That is so good. I, it's amazing that you say that because I've been feeling a very strong urge. I, I mean, the season of, of COVID has been interesting. You know, how we know church, how we practice church, the church growth season has shifted in many, in many ways. And, and you know, things just aren't what they they were and i don't know that they sh should ever go back but in the middle of that it comes a whole lot of questions and thinking and deep thinking and all the rest of it and the thing that in my prayer time and my time with holy spirit that's been really strong is that whole message of the kingdom and the misunderstanding because i see the debate in the church as to you know christians what we got to stand up for well, we got to stand up for our rights to meet and have church and i was like ah really is that is that what we're fighting for and and all these things and i'm like why you know and then you get the other side that are so afraid of everything and and you know and you get that side i'm going what's missing well the thing that's missing is this gospel that we're preaching is is missing 
the whole thing. And, and to me, I was like, I, I've been, I'm in the series right now on the kingdom and teaching our church. Let, let's define, let's talk about the kingdom because this is Jesus's message. So I found it so interesting because, you know, went on your website, saw a lot of what you're teaching recently. You're teaching a lot on the, the kingdom. And there seems to be an urgency now globally in the global church to get back to that kingdom message. So talk to us pastors about a little bit more. Let's press into this about the kingdom of God and why why we all need to emphasize and define what that is because a lot, I think a lot of Christians think that the kingdom is the kingdom of heaven that it's eternal it's that and going no 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 Jesus <laughs> Jesus even said you know pray when you pray say your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So talk to us a little bit more about that because this is I think this is this is huge. This is massive for the church today. Great. Yeah, so true. It will have um, a significant earth-shattering ramifications when we finally wrap our heads and hearts around this. If we are part of the kingdom of Christ now, um, then that changes our identity and changing our identity changes how we move through this world. It changes our identity into being citizens, soldiers, and ambassadors. Mm. Those are kingdom identities. So first of all, we're citizens of a different country, the Jesus nation. Yeah. That we're not citizens of Canada uh, primarily. That's a very secondary, it's infinitely secondary as far as identity. Primarily, yeah. we are citizens of the Jesus nation here and now. Um, and so we have more in common with a brother or sister around the world than we do with a fellow Canadian who may not be a believer. And so we link arms and we learn together how we can be a blessing globally. Um, so we're, it changes our citizenship, it changes, we become soldiers. So uh, a, a, a nation has soldiers and it advances or it secures its borders. But the thing is the Jesus nation goes to war, but it's a spiritual warfare. Yeah. Not wage war as the world does. Our weapons right. are not of this world. So we, we neither do we, we don't use um, guns and bombs, but we also don't use anger to fuel the movement of love. We don't use um, condemning tweets and, and angry Facebook posts in order to advance the love of Jesus. And use fear to motivate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we're soldiers fighting against spiritual dark forces. And that means we never see people as the enemy. We see people as victims of the enemy. They mm. are POWs, the prisoners of war. And so we, and it's true, a war tries to either protect land or obtain land in advance. And, and we do want to obtain land, but the land we're trying to conquer in a sense is the distance between us and others in unreconciled relationships where yeah. love is not leading, where there is division because of unforgiveness and uh, or just judgment between ages and stages and classes and races. And we say, no, I want to conquer that land. I don't want that division to be there anymore where I'm going to fight. I'm going to, I'm going to fight for, for unity and for love. There's this word in New Testament, one of my favorite Greek words is homo thumadon. Homo thumadon, and it gets translated in old translations with one accord, yeah. and in modern translations, just the word together. It's used yeah. in the book of Acts. The church was together in one place, homo thumadon. But th it, th that's a, it's a pretty mild translation. The word itself is, is beautifully intense. Homo is the word for one. Thumadon is a variation of thumos, which is the word for outrage and a passionate anger, but it's mm. anger that is off the charts there's a usual greek word for anger or gay and it's not that word uh, it's it's the word used to describe satan himself uh being raging against uh, jesus in revelation chapter 12 and it, it's always a sin whenever it's listed in the bible it's a sin it's terrible it's terrible for christians except 
except they take the word for oneness and the word for this passionate outrage. And when they put them together, they say the early church was described by a passionate rage for unity, for togetherness, yeah. for oneness. Yeah. And I think, oh man, if only we could uh, be soldiers who fight, not creating enemies, but fight for whatever's dividing us to make that the enemy. You yeah. know, so that I'm going to fight for our unity and for our oneness. So the kingdom makes a difference by making us citizens, making us soldiers, and then making us ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So that my, my ultimate relationship with the world around me is that I represent a different kingdom to that world. Uh, I'm not trying to get Canada to be, act like a Christian nation. I'm here representing a different nation to Canada. And that, that's what ambassadors do. They have to know the policies of the king or the prime minister or the president they represent. We have to know the policies of Jesus. We have to know his will and his way, and then just represent it well to the world in which we live and not get sucked into, think, change through political coercion. If we can just get the right person in power, get the right laws made, yeah, exactly. to enforce them, finally, we'll get this nation back to God. That, no, laws nope. don't change hearts, but I'm an ambassador to the nation and to the people pointing to a different nation, a different way of living that we're inviting them to come and join. That is so good. There's so much uh, richness in what you just said that I, I, I love. And, and I mean, we could talk about out for hours of that thing, but I, I think one of the things that really stands out as you're talking to is, is Jesus, he, he said he came bringing, preaching, you know, the, the message of the kingdom. That was, that was his message. That was his thing. And then in the same, in the same sermon, he says, you've heard it said, but I say, right you've heard it said but i say and he and all all the contrast in that and he's referring to the cultures and the things that we have just as human beings but you know the jewish culture in that time the roman culture influencing there for us the canadian culture you know that salvation is not going to come from our changing or you know our our cultures earthly cultures it it's the message of of the kingdom and 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 our citizenship. I love that. You know, Paul says in in Philippians, above all, you know, citizens of heaven. Above all, like I, I'm fascinated in studying the early church. You know, living in some of the strongest cultures and existing and birthed in some of the strongest anti cultures ever. Thrived and 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 passionately thrived and fought. Like you said, I love that. Fought passionately for for that unity. That was the one thing that I, I think propelled it forward. And it's interesting. Jesus says, Hey, a new command I give you love, yeah. love one another. Love has the ability to woo hearts. Whereas coercive power does not, it can, it can force people to change on the outside, but usually they just build up resentment on the inside. But interestingly, coercive power is the way of secular nations. We understand that that's all they've got. Secular nations don't have the Holy spirit to change yeah. the hearts of their citizenry. So, so laws, do that and then the enforcement of laws and 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 um and so that's understandable but the church should not copy the way of the secular world Um, and so our job is not to try and get canada to enact better laws our job is not to i mean that we can do that as canadian citizens but it's not the primary goal of the church jesus doesn't spend a lot of time actually trying to reform rome Uh, you know he he talks to israel because they're claiming to be the stewards of the torah of the word of god but but the the secular world around him it's not a reform movement for politics. It's actually Jesus Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and washes his disciples' feet and says, here's a way to move forward. And that that's going to begin to change hearts. And if someone, you know, I tell people, if you're involved in politics and, and that's your gig, that's where you want to, a caution, coercive power will never accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish. Yeah. You may succeed and get 
the person you think should be in power, the laws you think should be passed, and you're still not going to change hearts. So you may just be whitewashing people's tombs the way Jesus says in Matthew 23, the Pharisees do. They're still mm-hmm. filled with dead man's bones. There's no hearts being changed, but you've made things look better on the outside, and now you feel better living in a country that might call itself a Christian nation or whatever. Yeah. But I, I would say, I'm not saying give up on Canada or give up on whatever nation you're in. Don't worry about it. But I'm saying there's a better way to work for change. The way of love that wounds hearts can actually begin to have a cumulative effect that uh, that really changes from the inside out. So, so good. Uh, and I, I believe what you're saying, like I believe and talking with a lot of pastors and leaders too, that there's a shift that's happening in the church, you know, and a lot of these things are coming to the forefront and these are, are being discussed finally. And, and I think I, I'm seeing, I don't know what you're seeing, but I'm seeing a shift, major shift again, a reformation of, of sorts within within the church in Canada, but globally as well, toward more kingdom thinking. And, and I'm excited. I, what, what would you, I'm excited about the church of the future. Um, what are you sensing? What, what, what are you seeing? Yes, I think both are true in that there is a resurgence of uh, Christians and non-Christians falling in love with Jesus. It couldn't be more beautiful. Um, yeah. Pastors who have been preaching scripture for years, actually having a rediscovery of Jesus at the center of it all. Beautiful. Um, there will also be, and I think I see signs of it, a kickback effect from the old guard, from those, just as there was for Jesus Day, those who are the stewards of the system who say, we've always done it this way. This has always been our theology. This is the way we interpret scripture, who will, um, who will out of fear, uh, push back and sometimes harshly, um, and uh, they will slander uh, they, as they did with Jesus, they will make up have truths that they used against him at his trial. Um, yeah. And, uh, and these, that there's a wave of that as well. Um, and so uh, I would just say we, we need the courage and support of fellow brothers and sisters who are following the way of Jesus. We're not going to fight fire with fire and slander back. We just want to be aware that that's happening and say, no, we're not going to get suckered into that. Um, and, um, and, and I think we need the support of others like yourself, this podcast, your church, uh, who, who are on this journey together um, with the courage to rethink, which is what the word repent means to bring up the yeah. circle. You know, Jesus, when he announces the kingdom, he said, gives us two things to do. He says, you know, the kingdom of heaven at hand. So repent and believe the gospel, repent, and believe repent means to rethink. We, it can mean rethink my past and be sorry for your sin. Jesus uses it that way sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. but more often when Jesus uses the word repent, it's not about regretting your past. It's about anticipating the future. Mm. The kingdom's here. Repent, open up your eyes, get ready for what's about to happen. Get excited about that. Yes, you got sin, repent of your past, but more so rethink everything you think you know about where we're headed, who we are and what's about to happen. And then believe, trust in Jesus. And so repentance and believing this trust, this hope-filled trust are attached to the kingdom as I think the new disposition we need right now moving forward. And I think pastors and others who are listening uh, would benefit, will always benefit from a rallying place where they can connect with other other Christians and non-Christians who are on the same journey. Absolutely. And expect the pushback. Jesus had a little bit of that himself. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Man, this has been so good, Bruxy. Thank you so much for, for this. Is there anything that that I haven't asked that you wish I did or something else you want that's on your heart you want to share? Well, no, I just give for next steps. If people want to go to jesuscollective.com, they can get on an email information list and just poke around the website, learn more about it, jesuscollective.com. Yeah. If they want to go to bruxy.com, when you've got a weird name, you might as well leverage it. Uh, you can go to bruxy.com if you want to read 
blog posts. Does anyone read blog posts anymore? I don't know, but uh, there's stuff there if they want to read it as well. And then my books, The End of Relief yeah. and Reunion, uh, both try and capture a lot of this conversation. And those are both available in different formats on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Yeah, I thank you for that. I'd highly recommend um, that your books, your blogs, your teachings, Jesus Collective, all the rest of it. Highly recommend it. I, I think it's a much needed conversation, and I love how you frame it and articulate it with such excellence. And and man, and it caused me and others to rethink a lot of things. So thank you so much for your time again and for your input. And appreciate you and your ministry. And it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you, my friend, and more power to you with all you got going on here. It's been a pleasure repenting with you. <laughs> wow, what an amazing conversation with Pastor Bruxy. There's, I could talk to that guy all day long. That amazing content, uh, so much richness in there, and just depth, like Man. And that's the thing. I, was, I felt like with the conversation with him, I was like, oh man, we're just scratching the surface. I just want to go so much deeper, but uh, so much, so much there. Highly encourage all of you to yeah. go deeper and to get his books, The End of Religion and Reunion. Look up Pastor Bruxy and, and get those books. Fascinating conversation. What's what stood out to you and things that he said in this podcast? Yeah, there was a portion of the podcast where he was talking about just how we how we pick and choose what we want to take out of the Bible and we don't give it its full substance. And he said that if you deliver a full truth as a half truth, then it's really a half lie. Wow. And I was just yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, so that's good. yeah, that's so good. And I, I think this is the season where we need, yeah, truth. It, we need to fight for truth mm -hmm. like never before. And, and there's that's the one thing I think that's being attacked in our society over and over again is this idea that there is no such thing as truth and, and, and all the rest of it. But that man, there is a truth, and the truth is Jesus is king, and and it's all about about him and we need to re-anchor yes. ourselves, our churches in the kingdom of God. And that's so powerful. I'd highly encourage all of you uh, pastors and leaders watching this and listening to this to again, get those books from from Pastor Bruxy, but also a little shameless plug is, is if you're wanting to do a series on the kingdom of God, I highly encourage you to to uh, tune into our series that we just uh, finished on the kingdom of God, just simply called the kingdom. You can find it at myvictory.ca and really encourage you to watch that, get the conversation going, but really dive in yourselves into understanding the kingdom yeah. of God. Also get Miles Monroe's books on the kingdom of God, rediscovering the kingdom and, and kingdom principles. These are incredible resources just to get this topic started and begin to study it for yourselves. And we'd love to continue, as always, we talk about this on GoCast all the time, and we're very serious about this. We want conversation yes. with you. This is not just us getting information to you. We want to continue the conversation, and we'd highly encourage you to connect with us and have that conversation with us. Yeah. with us and what the revelations you're getting, we'd love to hear from you. So how do people connect with us? Absolutely. You can go to gocast.ca. You can also follow GoCast on all major podcasts, playing platforms, and then also on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah, please do that. And we are excited about uh, season three coming up oh. with GoCast. It's going to be amazing. We're going to make some adjustments. As always, we're coming. We've come out of COVID. Yay! We're excited about that, and we're excited about what the church is looking like in the next season. We have some amazing guests already lined up, and we're excited to continue that conversation, and we're excited for you 
to see what we have planned for the next season. So stay tuned. Thanks again for joining us. God bless you guys. And we are so thankful for you as uh, joining and, and regularly tuning in to everything that we've got going on. And again, we'd love to hear from you. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GoCast. We hope you feel inspired and better equipped to take your community for Christ. Make sure to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released. Let's go and break the stat together.